So Matthew 6, 7 through 13, which we call the Lord's Prayer, uh, begins like this, with a little bit of an intro that Jesus gives here and then into this prayer. He says this, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Now, Jill, I want you to come back to me for just a second because I want to talk about this piece here because I think this is critical and important for us to hear. This, then, is how you should pray. Now, I want you to see that the translation says it this way. This is how you should pray. That the translators of this passage, when they took this and brought this into our language, didn't say, this is what you should pray. They said, this, then, is how you should pray. Now, I think as we get into this and further into this series, this is a critical point for us to make, and I want you to hear this very specifically. I think it's very easy for things that we say and things that we do in church, whether it is singing, whether it is uh, prayers that we pray like this out loud or by ourselves or however we pray, that when you have a prayer like this sometimes, or Uh, the Apostles' Creed that we sometimes say on Sunday mornings, or even at the conclusion of our service, we have our blessing and benediction, we say. It is easy for those things to turn into words that we just say, things that we memorize, and we think this is what you say. But I want you to see something here is that he says, this is how you should pray. And that's what I want us to begin to see. We don't sing simply to sing. We sing because we're saying things back to God that are true about him. We're glorifying and praising him in our songs. And so we, we, the, the, the idea of that isn't simply just to sing because we sing. We sing because it is one way that we connect with that reality of which we believe is true about God. When we read the Apostles' Creed, It helps us to summarize the things that we believe about our faith. We don't just say it to say it and check some box off of things that we're supposed to do. We don't just take communion because we're supposed to just do that. We recognize and remember and see the power of that moment every time we do that together. We see that reality taking place in that moment. We worship together, not because we're just supposed to come together, but because there's something that happens when we come together as the church, whether that is in small, small circle gatherings or whether that is in our large gatherings of fellowship and worship opportunities. When we engage in those together, we see the power in those moments. The benediction that we read at the end of our service has power to it because it's not what we're saying, it's it's how the, 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 the theology behind what we're saying, what the words mean and how they impact and how they sum up everything that we are to be as a church community. So I want us to hear this. He says, this is how you should pray. No, not what you should pray, how you should pray. And he's setting up a scaffolding, an idea that I, as we go through each of these clauses, that I, what uh, my desire is for you, and the reason I'm preaching on each individual clause is as you read that clause, you would remember, you would recall, you would have a certain thing that connects you to that particular clause, even putting it in your own words and beginning to see the reality of what this prayer can do, the impact that it has, not because you've memorized it, not because you've said it verbatim, but because you understand this is how we should pray, the things that we should pray for, and the way that we're inviting God to work in and through our lives. 
So with that in mind, listen to how he says this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, Last week, we began this prayer by looking at that first phrase that Jesus gave his disciples and gives us as he teaches us how to praise. This first phrase is a very simple and short phrase. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Now, if you weren't here with us last week, I want to talk about this because I think it helps us connect into where we're going today. This language, our Father in heaven, was an absolute radical departure from the language and expectations of prayer in the ancient world of the first century church, which is why Jesus in that verse 7 says, don't, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, do not be like them, do, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So he sets this up by saying, there is a way that people have been taught to pray, I'm going to show you there's a different reality at play because the way that, 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 that culture was teaching you how to pray is missing the point of this prayer, and it's missing some valuable insights about who God is and who you are in relationship to God. And so people would pray and they would pray and they would babble on and they would add all these words and all these attributes and all these additions to their prayers because they believed that their gods were either distant far away, unable to hear their prayers. Sometimes they would say, well, maybe, maybe our gods are asleep and we have to wake them up. Or maybe we need to impress our gods with our knowledge. We need to add in all these attributes. We need to add in all these names. And somehow, if we pray loud enough, if we pray with enough impressiveness, our God will listen to us. Our gods will answer us. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't be like that. And he says, your father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. So this is how you should pray. Our father in heaven. See, many of the ancient gods of the ancient world were mysterious. They were angry. They were distant. You never knew if they were listening. But Jesus begins his prayer in such a different way. Our father in heaven. And our father in heaven immediately calls back to this statement that your father knows what you need before you ask him because as a good and perfect father, our father in heaven is listening and loving and nothing will change what he thinks about us. See, Jesus is saying, your heavenly father isn't distant. He's not waiting for you to impress him so he can wake up and listen to you. He is always listening. He is always waiting. He is always ready for you to come to him. And I want you to process and begin to think about this, that as we all pray, our God is big enough to hear all of our prayers, to know all the things that are going on in our lives, that, that each of us individually can come to him and pray. Sometimes I think people look to me and think, well, Ryan is a professional. Faith, faith for Ryan is a professional reality. What I want you to understand is that I struggle with prayer just like any of us do. And I need this reminder as well, that my heavenly father is listening and waiting for me to come and pray and he will hear my prayer. And that is the same and true for every single one of us. So I hope this is a powerful reality for you and something that you see here. 
Your heavenly Father loves you, listens to you, knows what you need. He is waiting to welcome you into his arms in any moment of prayer. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be unsure. You don't have to be weary of that welcome. His arms are open wide for you. And so this is where I think this prayer transitions for us as we then look closely at these next words. So this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven who is listening and waiting, who loves us, who wants to hear us, who we don't have to impress, we don't have to wake up, who is ready to welcome us into his arms. Then Jesus goes on with this clause. Hallowed be your name. This powerful word that we rarely use is found here in this prayer. Hallowed. And hallowed means sacred. Hallowed means holy. Hallowed means revered. We find ideas of this in all kinds of different places throughout the scriptures. One of those spots that, that I felt I want to talk about this week was Exodus 3.5. God told Moses, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. That which is holy inspires awe within us. That which is hallowed inspires awe within us. We find another picture like this in Isaiah 66. Listen to this. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. Now, I love this picture. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where's the house you'll build for me? Where, where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? I love this picture because I can imagine in my mind something that helps me articulate what Jesus has already taught us in this prayer. Remember, God is not mysterious, angry, or distant. And neither is the reality of heaven. Because the picture isn't just God sitting back unaware as we pray. The, the, the picture we have here is of God, awe-inspiring God, sitting up, bridging this gap between heaven and earth, connecting this reality for us. And then we also see as we back up that, that, that we look and we see this idea that he is our heavenly father, so he can pick us up, he can gather us to his arms reaching down and picking us up. Now we find this painted just a few verses later, this picture, he says, listen to this, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. So listen, our Father in heaven, whom Jesus taught us to pray to, bridges that gap and I want you to imagine this. I want you to sense this. As we, as we say these words, as we say these two clauses, these two really work off of each other is what I'm trying to come to. Our Father in heaven teaches us that this is our Father who loves us and cares for us and, and reaches down to pick us up. The language that he uses here as, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. 
But he also says, hallowed be your name. God is holy to be revered, awe-inspiring. God is big enough to handle everything because he created all things, but he loves us so much that he comes down and picks us up into his arms. So I want you to feel those words. I want you to sense those words. I want you to hear those words, and I want you to think about those words as you say that. Our Father in heaven, I want you to imagine him picking you up into his arms hallowed be your name, and recognizing and trusting and having the faith that those arms are big enough to hold you with any reality that is taking place. Because your Father in heaven bridges the gap between that which is the difficult reality of this world and the beautiful reality of that which is glimpsed through Jesus and which is to come in complete fulfillment. See, while you may experience fear, pain, death in this world, be reminded that this is not the end of the story because of the reality of who God is. Get a glimpse of this in Revelation 21 as the author paints this. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So that which is holy, different, set apart from the reality of this world, what he's saying, it will become the reality of this world through the holy, different, and set apart Heavenly Father who seeks not to be distant from us, but to dwell among us, to bring the joy, love, peace, mercy, forgiveness, justice, beauty, and life of God into this world into full completion in ways we've never experienced before. So as you pray this prayer, as you bring this prayer into the reality of your life, I want you to see these things. I want you to connect these clauses because I want you to see the power and the impact that this has in your life. Our Father in heaven, who is listening, who loves us, who cares for us is bridging the gap between the reality of heaven and the reality of this world, where there is death and pain and suffering and injustice. God says, I'm picking you up. I'm comforting you in the reality of this. And I'm promising to you that I will make all things new and that this reality of this world will no longer be anymore. But the reality of this world will be as it is in heaven and love, and joy, and peace, and beauty will fill this world as he makes that so. This is an incredible, beautiful picture. The holy God, awe-inspiring, revered, different, different from what we experience. How is God different? Because God is pure love. God is all that is beautiful and loving. 
God is full of justice and mercy and grace and forgiveness in ways that you may never find in this world. That is the reality of God. And he says, I bring that into this world. Which brings me to another angle of this prayer today. The act of praying this prayer has the power to change us. See, I want us to see that it has the power to help us to see this reality here, to talk about this reality that we've discussed, to see how these clauses fit together, but also to see how they impact us as we allow this prayer to be a part of our lives and what it can do through our lives as we pray. See, when we pray, this is another critical part of this, when Jesus says, this then is how you should pray, we have to talk, what does it mean to pray? Well, when we pray, we're praying that God would work in and through us. We're not just saying things about God. We're asking that God would live in and through us. It's kind of like if I went to sing, as Kurt is singing, and I just read the lyrics and said, okay, I see that those lyrics are true, but I'm not singing them out. I'm not breathing those words out. Then, then I'm just reading them. Then I'm just seeing something. Then I'm just being entertained. See, but as I breathe those words out, but even more so, as I live those words out, I'm, I'm, I'm utilizing that time as a time of prayer, inviting God to change my heart, to change my life, to change the reality of my world around me as he works in and through me, in and through the brothers and sisters in my family called the church, as he works in and through us to bring heaven to earth as is his prayer that we would live on earth as it is in heaven. So this is a significant part of this prayer because we're praying that God would answer the prayer through us. And this is where we come to this different angle in these words. Not just that God is hallowed, but that we should hallow his name. Now listen to this again, Matthew 6, 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, sometimes when we read that and we look at that clause, we say, you know, holy is your name, revered is your name. But the, the context here, the, the verb that's being used here, is what the prayer is, may your name be hallowed. Our Father in heaven, may your name be hallowed. And what it's inviting us to do is say, may we hallow your name. Now, I know that sounds weird. I know that that's, that's a phrase that we don't use a lot. I know that verb tense seems weird, but may we hallow your name. May we do the actions that it takes to make your name holy. So one way to put this is that we don't see God as how, just we don't only only see God as hallowed, but we speak of God as hallowed, and we invite others into the reality of that which we believe is hallowed. Now, I really wrestled with how to help us to understand and how to bring this into life today. 
And as I thought about it, I told Jill, I, I went up to her as she was doing some work uh, in the kitchen earlier this week, and my office is right here. And so I walked up these stairs, I came to her, and I said, I've got an illustration that I think connects us to this, and I think will help us to understand this, but I think it might be weird. And I told her about it, and she said, oh, that makes sense. I think that sounds really good. And so I went back down, and I said, okay, I'm going to work through this. I still had some trepidation about it, because I don't want to make this, um, I, I, I don't want to make light of this reality. So, so I, I'm going to give you this illustration. I want to talk through this illustration. Then I want to see how it connects back to us. And I hope it makes sense to you. And I hope it helps to bring the reality of this phrase to life for us. Because I think this is huge and significant. I don't want us to miss this idea. I don't want us to just think of God as hallowed. I want us to really see what it means to, to take that reality and then for us to hallow God's name. So here's my illustration for this. A friend of mine, he's a pastor in Indiana, said one time about me, he said this, he said, there are two things that are going to happen if you hang out with Ryan long enough and over the course of your relationship. He says, you either give your life to Jesus and you either choose to follow Jesus more closely or you will become a lifelong fan of the Indianapolis 500. He said there are, there are just two things about Ryan that are true. These are two incredible passions of his life. You will either choose to follow Jesus, you will choose to follow him daily, or, or you will become a lifelong fan of the Indianapolis 500. Now, I guess he was right because my friend was already a follower of Jesus, but he is also now a ticket holder in a stand directly across from the finish line of the world's greatest race. And he will not miss that race. I took him to the track. I showed him around the track. I shared my passion for the Indianapolis 500 with him. And now he is a huge fan of this race as well. Now that passion came for me as for years I would drive over and I would pick up my dad. We'd spend the day in that place. We sat together during practice as the cars echoed around in the empty stands of that place. Then we sat together on race day with 300,000 of our closest friends all anticipating the race that was to come. And we did this, and, and, and you may do this because you know it's not just another race, but because for people like me and my dad, that place has become for us hallowed ground. And that may sound ridiculous, that may sound weird, or that may sound crazy to you. I always laugh because I remember when the, the movie Turbo came out, you may say, Turbo, what's that? That's the movie with the snail that enters the Indy 500. Watched it on a movie night a few uh, years ago. And I laugh because it's one of the racing movies that we always watch because it's about the 500. And yeah, it's, a, it's about a, a snail that enters the race and it's a cartoon and it's ridiculous and it's weird. But somehow, and I don't know how they did this, they captured perfectly the essence of my feelings as I drive into the track. As they see the city, as they go into the track, the, the characters, these cartoons are all kind of like, wow. That's how I feel every single year. It's how I feel every day in May. As I drive under the tunnel, I come up the other side, and I have this sense of emotion, of feeling like I am on hallowed ground. Now listen, the sound of the cars don't just echo off the walls for me anymore. 
but so do stories of bravery and skill, unbelievable records, odds being broken there. I wrote this down in my notes, the sentence, I don't just watch history there, I experience it. I, I, I can't even begin to fathom or understand. I can't even begin to put into words the feeling that we have. I know the emotion of it. I know as we sat there last year at the Indy 500 and they were singing back home again in Indiana, my daughter put her arms around me, put her, her arms around me and Jill. I, I just began to sob. I turned around and a friend of mine who is from Arkansas that I know through the race because they sit behind us every year is sitting right next to me. And I turn around and I give him this huge hug. I mean, we are both just absolutely sobbing. Because there's something about the emotion and there's something about that experience. There's something about this hallowed ground. Now, all that to be said, I get that that may sound weird, but we all have a place like that. Wrigley, Augusta, or maybe somewhere not even famous. Maybe it's a family home, a farm. Maybe it's a cabin. Maybe it's a trail that you walk somewhere. A place you visit. That place for you is hallowed ground. The way that you talk about that place. The way you share the joy of that. The way you live out your experience. All of us have hallowed ground like that. That as we live it out, as we talk about it, as we share our passion and our joy about it, that it becomes an invitation for others into our hallowed places, in our hallowed experiences. Now let me back up for a second. Because I want to challenge us as we come to this today. As we come back to the prayer that Jesus gave us. Now, I, I, I haven't said this for a long time, but this is something I like to say because I think it's a huge help for us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this piece here, you're off the hook. The invitation for you today is found in this idea that your heavenly father loves you, no matter who you are. Whether you are on this journey of faith or not, your heavenly father loves you. He is listening. He is waiting. He is waiting to gather you into his arms to bring peace and love and joy and forgiveness and grace and mercy and love and beauty into your life as you choose to follow him. And I just want you to know that you have that invitation today to choose to follow him and to see him as holy and different and separate and glorified and he wants to be a part of your life. That, that's for you today. But if you follow Jesus, this next part that I'm going to talk about is specifically for you. And it's a challenge for all of us. Because I want you to go back to this text with me for a second here. Uh, and Jill, you don't have to worry about this. I'm just going to read this for us. That remind, a reminder that it said in Exodus 3, 5, Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And it was this idea in the Old Testament and the Hebrew scriptures that we see this idea that there were places that were holy ground where God was present, where he was active, where he was taking place. And then we find a passage in the New Testament that it says that you are the temple. Now listen, listen, go back to this. 
This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will be build for me? You. This passage, I don't have this in my notes. I don't have this on the screen for us today. It says, you are the temple. He lives within you. When you choose to follow Jesus, when you give your life to him, when you ask this holy God to be a part of your life, you're inviting him into your life to take residence in your life. You are now the temple where the Holy Spirit works in and through. And so as you pray this prayer, you are saying, may you use my life as a holy life. May I point to you as a holy God. May my life be a reflection of your hallowed name. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is specifically for you. See, what if when I talked, now let me go back for a second, what if I, when I talked about the Indy 500? What if I focused on this? What if I talked about the garbage? What if I talked about the traffic? What if I talk about the way that people can act in crowds that are that big? People who have gotten up really early in the morning. What if I talked about some of those experiences around that? What if I was a miserable person about it? And rather invite you, and think about this, what if rather invite you into my experience of this hallowed place, I judged you because you're not yet a fan. So you wouldn't think much of my hallowed experience. You wouldn't think much of those hallowed grounds. And if everyone did this, empty seats wouldn't be a mystery. So why have empty seats become such a mystery in our churches? See, the same principle can be applied here. Followers of Jesus should reflect the goodness, the majesty, the beauty, and the love of God. Our passion should be contagious. Our passion should be invitational. Every one of us should have a passion to lead others into a relationship with Christ. Not because we're judging them because they don't belong yet, because they've always belonged, but a passion to bring his love and his mercy and his goodness into this world. And when we live out our lives like that, people say, I want to be a part of that. Where did that come from in your life? And I say, because I want God's name to be hallowed. And because I'm living out the love, the joy, the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, the justice of my heavenly father, because I believe that he bridges the gap between the reality of this world and the reality of heaven. And I pray to be a part of that, that my life would bring his will onto the, this earth. And that means that my life would be an example of his love and his beauty and his forgiveness and his love and his mercy and his grace. See, followers of Jesus should reflect the goodness, the majesty, the beauty, the love of God in this world. But many people instead experience followers of Jesus and experience greed, selfishness, and injustice from those who claim to follow God. See, as followers of Jesus, when we pray this prayer, we're praying that God would help us hallow his name. But too often we denigrate it instead. 
by the way we act, the way that we live, and the way we treat others. And that's why we need this prayer. I love the way that pastor and theologian Adam Hamilton says this. He says, in our lives, we either misuse and denigrate God's name, or we hallow God's name by what we say and how we live our lives. Listen, he goes on, he says this, we hallow God's name by living in a way that reflects God's goodness, majesty, beauty, and love. See, this prayer invites God to use us to hallow his name, to bring praise and honor and glory to him in everything that we do. How would our lives look different if we lived that out? What would change about the way that we act and live and treat others around us if our day began with a prayer that we would hallow God's name through our lives, how we live and how we act and how we treat others? So let's pray this prayer. And let's pray that God would answer it through our lives given to his glory. May we be people who hallow God's name and bring goodness and majesty and beauty and love into this world in all we say and do, all we say, and how we love. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be through my life, and through the life of those around me, hallowed be your name. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the challenge of this prayer, this prayer that Jesus has given us, to recognize and see that our Heavenly Father loves us so much, is waiting to hear us, to waiting to hear us, to cry out to Him, to recognize that we see the pain and the reality of this world, but as we call to him, we recognize his beauty, his love, and his grace, and his mercy, and we invite that into our lives. And then, God, as followers of Jesus, may we continue to live that out. May on this journey of faith and life, may we not get so tired and burned out and so frustrated that our lives end up denigrating God's name. May you continue to breathe new life into us through the Holy Spirit. May we be temples that reflect your holiness. And by that, way, may we be people who reflect your grace and your mercy and your love and your beauty and especially your love into this world. And it is your name that we pray. Amen.